Hello and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast. I'm Agent Scott, and usually I would be joined by Cam the Provocateur, but due to scheduling, he can't make it this week. So stepping in and stepping up is Mr. Jeff Quest. He previously joined us for uh, Day of the Jackal back in the day from, of course, spyright.com. Jeff, how are you doing today? I am great. I am happy to step in, fill in. I can't fill camp shoes, but I will do my very best. They are very, very small shoes. I think you probably could fill them in. <laughs> uh, we need to come up with a spy name for you, by the way. Obviously, I'm Agent Scott, and he's Cam Provocateur, so we need like a, a Jeff a Jeff pun. Well, my last name's Quest, so, you know, it's got a little bit of a ring to it already. So. Yeah, and Jeff Quest. There you go. Actually, that, that's, a, that's a terrific name. That's actually like a sci-fi name right there. That's, that sounds like an 80s sci-fi film, which I'm sure you've heard before. But um, we're here to talk about something slightly different this week uh there's a new show on itvx here in the uk i'm sure it will be premiering in the states uh, or at least north america at some time in the in the foreseeable future but it is an adaptation of the ben mcintyre book a spy among friends um and basically it's a six-part mini-series and jeff and i were invited to go to a press q a for the show and we got to watch the first two episodes as part of a press screener so um, what we'll do is we're going to talk about our thoughts on the first two episodes. We're going to keep it non-spoiler for everyone. Um, but we did get the chance to speak to basically the showrunner, Mr. Alexander Carey, and the writer of the book that it was based on, Mr. Ben McIntyre, uh, for about 40 minutes. So what we're going to do is we're going to throw to that first. And you can hear from the men themselves that made the show uh, what sort of what made them want to tell this story? And so, without further ado, let's throw to the interview. There you go. And joining me today to talk about their new show, A Spy Among Friends, we have firstly Mr. Ben McIntyre. Ben, say hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? And Mr. Alexander Carey. Hello, Alex. Hi. How are you doing? Uh, we're, we're doing well. Thank you for joining us to talk about this show uh, this week. Now, I've actually just watched the first two episodes yesterday. Um, I'm quite excited to talk about it with you. I, I'm more adept at spy film than I am with spy TV, I have to say. So this is a, it's, it's sort of a different way of telling stories. It's actually an interesting way of doing it. Um, and uh, also want to point out, Ben, a big fan of the uh, Operation Mincemeat uh, film that came out recently as well. well thank you. Yes, no, that was that was terrifically good fun. Very different sort of story, of course. I mean, but both rooted in deception. Absolutely. And both had little Ian Fleming nods as well, which I quite like. You need, you need that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 65th anniversary of James Bond this week, so it feels apt to mention it as well. Uh, what I'll do is I'll try and split the questions as sort of uh, you can both answer. But to start us off, I did want to throw a question at you, Ben, just about the actual book that you wrote that this story is based off on. Uh, what sort of interested you about telling the Kim Philby story? I came to this story actually through John le Carre. Um, David mm -hmm. Corbett, who, who was a friend of mine, and I remember going for a walk with him on Hampstead Heath many years ago, and I was between books, and I said to him, and he knew exactly what I was doing, I said, David, I don't know what to write next. And he said, the best story in espionage is about the relationship between Kim Philby and Nicholas Elliott. Now, David knew Nicholas Elliott because they had been, David was, a, was, a, was an agent both in MI5 and MI6, and he got to know Nicholas Elliott quite well. 
Um, and he just very generously said, it's a way of telling that story that is completely different from the traditional telling of it. It is, you know, it's always been told through the prism of the Cold War as a simple, not necessarily simple, a complicated story of conflict between, between capitalism and communism, really, of which they are the actors. This, the story that I wrote, and I was so lucky to have access to all this new material, was about the relationship between these two men who had both grown up together, both had been in MI6 together, both had sort of fought, as it were, shoulder to shoulder during the war and after it, and both rose very rapidly within the ranks of MI6. But throughout that time, one of them was betraying the other. And it's just, a, it's just an extraordinarily intimate sort of treachery because we're very familiar with the other sort of treachery. This is a different sort of emotional treachery. Plus, you know, there is some fantastic spycraft involved in it as well, because Philby was Philby was the best liar this country's ever produced, I suspect. Mm -hmm. He was absolutely brilliant at it. I mean, it's very, it's very difficult uh, to lie compound lies, and nobody was better at it. To coin a phrase, nobody did it better. A good week for that phrase, I would say. Um, it's it's definitely a very personal story, and it, it's quite heartbreaking, the relationship between the two of them, and obviously, you know... Is to see your friend do something like that um, can shake your foundation and your grasp of sort of the reality that you have. So I, it's definitely an interesting angle to come at the story from. And I think that's something I appreciated from watching the episodes yesterday was dealing with the interpersonal relationship between the two leads. Um, Alex, I want to throw this to you now. Before we get to maybe making the TV show, um, what interested you uh, in the Philby story? And what, did you, were you aware of the book or had you read about Philby before in the past? Yeah, well, I'd read the book probably about uh, a couple of years uh, before this came along, before I was asked to uh, consider adapting it. I had read it because I'm a fan of Ben's work, so I had read uh, several of his books, actually. Um, and uh, when I was doing Homeland, uh, the, this book was, uh, was, was one of some interest to us on the writing staff, um, just because of the nature of the... Of the debrief in Beirut between you know a, a, a man who realizes he's been betrayed for twenty something years, uh, dealing with his friend and, and at that point his greatest adversary. So so I was aware of it and 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 it, and it was that friendship and the af the aftermath of that friendship and the and the reflection that that requires on behalf of the. Uh, bereaved, for, for one of better, one of a better word, um, that uh, that uh, that that led me to think that this would be good drama for television, um, uh, and then and and then concurrent with that uh, sort of self reflection that Elliot has to go through, or or or, or at least looking at maybe his response, his culpability in in, in Philby's success. The investigation coming at him sideways from from the sister service uh, just just seems like drama that you can't you you can't pass up if you're allowed to do it properly and that is key to this show. And Damien and I were discussing this before. We believe we were allowed to tell the story the way we wanted to tell it by you know Sony and ITV and Charter and and uh, and uh, now MGM Plus. Uh, which is which is so we yeah I mean we 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 
we feel like we told the story we wanted to tell in the way we wanted to tell it. And the other thing is that I took extraordinary liberties with Ben's amazing book, which was which was very nerve-wracking to begin with, but um, he's been very generous and supportive throughout the whole process. I mean, the risk of mutual flattery, actually, I felt you didn't... I mean, you did little violence done to the facts. The truth is, the emotional core of this story is real. I mean, it is. There's no doubt about it. It's mm-hmm. you know, there is one major fictional character, which mm-hmm. is the investigator. But otherwise, this is really very true to the book. And look, I, I think it lends itself brilliantly to an episodic treatment because it's a complicated story in some ways. This is a friendship that unfurls over a very long period. And lots of different people are involved in it. There are other characters who affect the way these characters interrelate with each other, although it is the, the friendship is the central core. And it's also a subject, I don't know if you agree, Alex, but the, the, we don't really talk about very much these days. And we certainly didn't talk about it in the sort of 50s and 60s, which is the nature of male platonic friendship. These, these were Absolutely. very intense relationships, forged in this case in the sort of hot crucible of war. And the idea that it could involve betrayal was simply unthinkable to one side, but second nature to the other. I think I think that's what makes this such a brilliant series, is that it's a, it's a story really about where personal friendship and loyalty end and where politics and patriotism and professionalism begin. And, and that's a very shifting line. And with six episodes... Alex has really been able to unpack that question because it's a really complicated one. Yeah. Well, let, let's take us back because that's actually one of the questions I, I had written down. You sort of led me in beautifully was about the sort of mode of adaptation. Obviously, you went down the route of a television show. And I mentioned, Ben, you recently you know, Operation Minsmeet was turned into a major motion picture. Um, why did you choose a TV show over a well, many different things. Stage, you could do it as a radio play, lots of outlets for the story. But what made you go for TV? TV seemed to me to be the absolutely natural home of this. I mean, it, because, because it is a kind of detailed account. You know, you need time to explore the relationship. It, it, it takes place over a considerable period of time, temporarily as well, you know. So, so mm-hmm. you need that space to be able to explore. And it, as a feature film it would be an adventure story and it would be in a way it would it would simplify something that i think i think you would in a funny way do the viewers a disservice by packing it into 90 minutes whereas you you need to be able to unfold it over time i think and it's um partly because it's it takes place also in lots of different places you know we're going from beirut to moscow to london to to washington dc so it's you know it's it is it is it, it, it and I think viewers, well, it's not, I'm no expert on this, Alex would be much better than I am, but but viewers are, are have recently over the last few years, I think, become used to being challenged and to being given a kind of a task in some ways. It's not just entertainment that you, you, you know, think sounds like it's hard work. It's not. But, you know, it's a brilliantly made film. But 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 you need to be alert. And I think viewers will, will respond brilliantly to that. Yeah, I think that's also um, uh, television suits this um, because I think, in, certainly in the way that we've told the story, is you want to come to a realisation. You want El- Nicholas Elliott to come to a realisation 
A, about the level of the betrayal, uh, B, about the, the, the espionage uh, defeats or victories or however you want to look at them. But C, you want it to be a journey of, in the end, personal, uh, uh, personal recognition of cul culpability as the problem to solve, and then how to solve, and then how to solve that problem. And I don't think you can do that, and also um, give uh, give the correct amount of uh, attention to the the, the trauma. That uh, and uh, and shame and regret that Philby experiences in Russia, having betrayed his friend, not so much his country. In other words, there's a guy. I chose to look at it as a guy who was cut off from friends in in Russia, not necessarily somebody who betrayed England, and he'd lost French friendship and friends. Um, which and so in a film, yes, you could do it, but I think it would be short shrift. You would give a lot of that stuff short shrift and you would have to replace it with plot moves to move the thing. We have not done that. We've, I hope, hopefully we haven't done that. We've done that with psychological shifts and, uh, uh, and, um, and periods of reflection and, um, and personal pain, which we've been probably allowed to explore, I think. Um, well, I suppose then to the TV show itself and the process of adapting a book for the screen. I note that, Alex, you have writing credits on all six episodes. Ben, you have a writing credit on the first one. Um, what was the collaborative effort between the two of you to sort of turn the book into a TV show? And what process did you go through? So, well, we met, first of all, before I put any words to paper or could I, I couldn't even figure out how to do it. And I just basically, we sat at lunch in near Borough Market. We went, Ben took me to a restaurant near the times and I sat there and basically bullshitted them for as long as I could that, that I might make a decent job of this, not knowing how, how on earth I was going to do that. Uh, so that's how it began. And, and Ben has taken a huge leap of faith um, uh, with, 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 with me and my process. And then, you know, when I wrote the script, he was the first person I sent it to. Uh, he, he, he gave me some thoughts and some notes and, and all the rest of it and so that's how it's been it's been a very it's actually it's actually a little bit representative of how everybody on this show has behaved everybody has had input uh, everybody has uh, been empowered to have influence on the story uh in, in you know actors war, costume department uh, everybody and and ben has been a large part of that i'd say ben and damien are the two people who who have, have helped me shape the script. I mean, Ben principally with his book, but uh, beyond that, you know, with uh, making sure my split infinitives were brought to heel. <laughs> I mean, it's it's such a different, from my perspective, writing a book, I get to explain. I have, I have the space to kind of offer explication for quite complicated sort of narratives. The alchemy, the magic whereby you can turn that sort of story into an emotionally resonant six-episode tale, it completely eludes me. I, would, I wouldn't have the first idea how to do that because that's why I never make a screenwriter. I'm constantly trying to explain everything all the time. Whereas, whereas Alex had brilliantly caught the voices of these people and also given space for the actors to tell the stories as they want to themselves, as, as to sort of inhabit 
these people in, a, in, a, in an extraordinary way, really. So I felt my job was really to occasionally say things like, you know, they wouldn't have worn a hat like that. And then, um, <laughs> and then sort of back out of the room politely. But, but actually, you know, I, I would have been, I would have been dismayed, but I would also have been astonished if Alex hadn't been true. I knew he was going to be true to the spirit of the thing because he was so interested in the, in, in the way the story unfolds and in the particular aspect that I had taken, and which is very faithfully represented in this film. It is a film about the Cold War. It's a film about politics. It's a film about very high stakes. And it's a film about treachery on a fantastic scale. But I think, in a way, much more um, unconventionally and much more interestingly, and in a way, completely un in a way that is, I think, unprecedented in, in television and film, this is looking at that story through a completely different perspective. It's looking at it from the way these two men behave and talk and are brought up and the things they share, which is almost everything, and the thing that they don't share, which is one very big thing. Yeah, I mean, I, just to jump in, I think Philby seems like he's become like a Rorschach test for folks all over, you know, like everybody looks and has their own uh, views of England and the Cold War and everything through a lens of him and can kind of bounce it off of him as a mirror. And so I was wondering, you know, it seems like, you know, obviously in the in the book and in the, in the show, the friendship is so crucial and and the betrayal there. And so... I just was wondering, how did that work as the lens for for telling this Philby story? Well, it 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 actually served as the glue that binds that informs every scene and binds the scenes together. Actually, Frank, for me, it, and, and even when we were shooting it, um, you know, when the actors had questions or Nick Murphy, the director, uh, had questions, it, it, my my response was. Well, always go back to friendship. Where, what, how, what, what, what is this saying about their friendship? Not actually, not just Philby and Elliot. It, it happens in, it, it, it happens between Elliot and Lily, which is really about the beginning of the friendship, a different kind of friendship that Elliot hadn't seen coming, because he'd been too besotted with his own kind. Um, it, it was, it was very much informed the scenes between um, Angleton and. Uh, Philby and Elliot, but later on, in, in I, I think you've only seen two episodes. Is that correct? That's well, right. On there's some stuff. Uh, there's a, a scene or two with Angleton and Elliot, and yes, they're spy scenes. They are definitely spy scenes, espionage scenes, but they are also scenes about the, about the complications of friendship and betrayal. Um, so that so friendship informed every single beat of this thing for me. Fascinating. I'd also just jump in and say, I don't think either Philby or Elliot would be remotely surprised that their story is being told through friendship, because friendship was extraordinarily important to both of them, as it was to a lot of men of that generation. It was always the defining element. You know, it was it was they were part of a tribe. They were part of a club. And I, I don't think, you know, when when Philby was uh, accused finally and had to give his press conference in his mother's drawing room he is asked about friendship and it's the one moment in that original tape where you can see him squirm a little bit mm. because he says ah oh, friendship well that's very complicated by which he actually means i think friendship is very important it is the most important thing to him in fact i think even for philby who was an ideologue all his life from the age of 18 
I think the friendship for him in the end, and it brilliantly caught in this series, was was paramount, which is why I don't want to give it away for your, for your <laughs> but you know, he to the end of his life, he was troubled by the nature of his friendship. And also I would say, and Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, but friendship is a crucial part of espionage. Crucial. And what's fascinating about the story and, and and what, again, another thing that drew me to the story, and I don't even know if I've done it justice, I hope I have, uh, is is the idea that is in, in the world of espionage, you have to you have to be you have to sort of create a fake friendship that then has to be a hundred percent real. Mm. Uh, 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 and so if I think that if Philby had died undetected, uh, that their friendship would have been 100% real in terms of its effects on, on either man. I think that it was incredibly valuable, his friend. I mean, I, I, again, I'm imagining this, but it is something I gleaned from between the lines in Ben's book, that, that the friendship that the friendship that Philby had with Elliot, from Philby's point of view, was 100% real and something that he mourned afterwards. I think that's absolutely right. In fact, there's good evidence for that, in fact, because Philby was, would, would not accept that his betrayal had destroyed the friendship. He, he, didn't, right. he didn't accept it. I mean, he, to the end of his life, he still believed that, he, that the friendship was intact, which, of course, it couldn't possibly be. I mean, it was completely ruined and Elliot never recovered from it. But, uh, but I think that's, uh, that is absolutely Philby, right. Philby never Sorry, Philby never recovered. Well, not in Elliot, actually. No. I mean, they, both of them, I think, were, were ruined by this, by this experience. So there's, a, there's also, I think, a sort of, there's something that is brilliantly caught here, which is about clubs. That if you belong to this very select group, you are a member of one of the most exclusive clubs that there could possibly be. I mean, these people came from a world of sort of clubs, and much of the, the, of the action takes place in clubs, quite rightly. But, you know, if you've been to, to Cambridge, that's a pretty exclusive club. They've both been to Cambridge. If you then join MI6, that's an even more exclusive club. If you are the only KGB agent inside MI6, as Philby was, that's a club of one. So this is also, I think, a story brilliantly caught about privilege and membership of an elite and the language and codes that go with belonging to a particular kind of British tribe. Of which I have to admit of being a part of, I, I would think. And uh, and and I think it was uh, it was it was it was fun and um, and informative and sort of necessary to examine my own upbringing and the and uh, and and how I was raised. Listen, I went to private schools where you were taught to believe that you were the future ruling class. Well, how fucking daft is that? I, I thought you were just admitting to being a KGB agent there. Uh. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> a bit late now, but uh, you never know. It's, so it's worth, it was worth examining that. No, absolutely. I, I wanted to ask about, and I we've had a we've had screenwriters on the show, we've had authors on the show over the years, and it's not often you have a a oversight of this. But did you have any? Uh, did you aid in the casting of this? Did you have people in mind when you were writing the scripts? I guess it's mostly for Alex's question. I know obviously Damien is a connection there, an exec producer on it. But you know, there's some wonderful performances from Aid Edmondson. Nice to see him in something else. Anna Maxwell Martin is fantastic in both episodes that I've seen so far. 
Um, did you have any sort of insight in into the casting? Well, yeah, I mean, I cast it. Um, uh, there you go. Uh, uh, so when uh, it, when it when it came when the when it came up and I was asked if I would be interested in adapting this the book, I, I called Damon straight away. I called Damon before I started writing. Right. I said, is this something you would want to do? And I said, no, 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 it's not Philby. I want you to to be Nicholas Elliot. I want the story told from his point of view, largely speaking. I want his that is the journey that is the most interesting in this to me. Uh, and so he said yes. And then we went and uh, you know he's been involved in the casting as much as me. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Nick. Then we brought Nick Murphy on uh, to direct. He's been involved in the casting. He had a personal and professional relationship with uh, with Guy Pearce. Which is, you know, so that happened. Um, Anna Maxwell Martin, I think, you know, you can't really argue. That's that's a racehorse. Of, that's a Ferrari uh, of an actress. I mean, she is unbelievable. Um, Aid Edmondson, uh, again, just extraordinary. As you, I hope you'll watch the rest of the show. It's it's quite it's quite a mesmerizing performance. Um, yeah. So so so. So I'll say it again. We made the show we wanted to make, including the costume. Well, I, I was just going to say, you know, jumping back to the betrayal, the thing that it struck me that it, it hasn't been touched on yet, maybe, but I'm maybe later on, is like the betrayal was actually even worse for Elliot than we, we see here because he was the one that kind of brought Philby back in after he was, you know, had to go and was uh, accused of being a spy. He gave him his work in Beirut, right? And so... Um, I'm just, I guess I'm just curious, you know, we see him struggle with, with this and how, how hard was that to put on the screen as far as the, what must be because of just my Americanness, the, the kind of up, uptightness of the British people, you know, to keep that inside. How hard was it to write that, uh, for the screen? Uh, well, it's the it. That's what makes it dramatic. Is 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 that against the restraints of uh, of the your your stereotyping of the British people? No, <laughs> against against <laughs> the restraints of, of, of the stiffer the stiff upper lip. We are able in a television show, and it, I think it speaks to the previous question about TV versus movies. In a slow burn to get under the skin of these people. I mean, listen, in, in episode one, uh, we have a scene which I would, I would defy anybody to say is not emotional when uh, Elliot uh, ha- uh, weeps watching uh, his imagination of Philby singing Are You Lonesome Tonight on the stage. So, so, so we get there, but we also get to the, the plot point you're talking about, which is the, which is the defending of, uh, uh, or the, um, the aiding and abetting of Philby and the claim to escape and the, and the subsequent examination of Philby in the 50s uh, and Elliot's complicity in, in, in his defence, uh, or not just complicity, his involvement in his, in his defence. We get to all of that and, we, and, and because of the structure of this thing, uh, we are allowed to, to dramatise the character looking back at what is so clearly now a glaring error, if not sin. Well, and it really, I, I just really quick, I just had to say, it's, it has a feel of the Tinker Tailor, you know, the look of the show. I have to imagine that was an influence. Um, even Sherlock Holmes, those 70 Sherlock Holmes, that kind of 
slow burn. It really felt a lot like that to me. Well, of course, Bill Hayden in in yeah in 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 the Smiley stories is based on Philby. Um, it, that comes from it. I think to understand the sheer level of shock that Elliot felt in reality and feels in this film, and the fury and the hurt, you you can't overestimate how that combination of British reserve. Uh, combined with the perfect camouflage of class and accent and upbringing and education. Just how invisible Philby's betrayal was to his contemporaries. I mean, Elliot was not alone. Others were, others, everyone fell for it. But Elliot, because he knew him better than anyone else, the sheer scale, the sheer sort of level of that internal emotional destruction for him is is brilliantly unveiled in this story over time and and, and it, it's cumulative and by the end you're left rocking by it and rightly because he was too although he you know in later life he always tried to sort of cover it up the truth was it, it was the central defining friendship of his life and one other little point on that which again i think the, the series captures brilliantly in order to be betrayed they say this you know this is the, the truism about adultery isn't it but in order to be cuckolded, you have to be slightly complicit in it. That it is, you know, those things don't come out of nowhere. And there is some level in which Elliot sort of in his heart knew, but didn't dare see it, didn't want to see what he didn't want to see. And that is true of betrayals generally. Often they work, they work, they work because the deception, the deceptee, if there is such a word, the recipient of the deception simply doesn't want to see what they are, what they are seeing and emotionally feeling, and so that's again what a series can do, which a film would struggle to do, I think. Because yeah. you, you, that, that slow dawning realization you have that Elliot is fighting the truth as it dawns on him. He doesn't want to see it because it's too damn painful. Yeah, I mean, I think as in where, where you know, with, as it with bravery, there is no bravery without fear. I think in terms of a friendship, there is no loyalty without doubt. So if you're, if you're if you ignore the doubt in friendship, and we're now getting really into the weeds in terms of examining friendship as a theme, but if you ignore the doubt, you cross over into blind loyalty, which I would say is a choice. I think that's absolutely And a dangerous right. one. Well, spinning off from the point, actually, because we're talking about the slow burn, and I think one of the things the show does really well in the episodes I've seen is because we hear about people making these 10-hour movies on, 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 on TV shows. And I think one thing this, this does beautifully is each episode feels like it has a beginning, middle, and end. And it, it actually culminates in the end of a story. It moves on to the next one in the next episode. But there is obviously the overarching story throughout. So uh, I want to firstly just commend you on having that because it's, it's missing from a lot of modern television. Um, but bouncing off of that, obviously adapting uh, a book and that's obviously coming from a real life story. Uh, I suppose, firstly, to Alex, what was the hardest moment from the story to adapt to a TV show? The hardest moment. I don't think that the hardest. The, the, I don't think. I don't think that there was any moment that was particularly hard. Um, I mean, it was all hard. It's it's not easy. Uh, my feeling is. That the hardest thing to portray mm-hmm. was this idea of a friendship being 
that has ended in a betrayal being so clearly, for want of a better word, fake, but also 100% real. And that's a very difficult thing. And that's not me inventing. This is in the book. Mm-hmm. All this stuff is in the book. All this great character work, it, it's all there. Uh, it's a matter of how do you distill that into something that's uh, not intellectual or, or particularly literary, but something visceral that an actor can get his hands on or her hands on. So that constantly was the hardest thing, but it was also the, the it, it was, I'm, thank God it was. Because it informed everything. Does that make sense? God, I hope I don't hear this. <laughs> it actually did make sense to me. Um, that's fine. Well, I, I suppose if I bounce that question over to Ben, obviously when you got involved and you heard they were adapting the story and you were working together and collaborating on on scripting it and getting it made, was there a moment you thought from the story that this would be interesting to see in live action that you'd like to see on 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 TV? Yes, I mean, I think one of the trickiest balancing acts is is was to, and which Alex has done brilliantly is to balance the sort of very intimacy of their relationship with mm-hmm. the hugeness of the stakes because that's quite a hard thing to do simultaneously because lots of lives were affected by this story lots of lives were ended by this story there is a murderous aspect of this story a very sinister backstory which which is lurking throughout people died because of this friendship People die because of this betrayed friendship in, in very considerable numbers. Which we get to fairly graphically. Um, and it's brilliantly done. But that's that's a that, I, that was one of the moments when I thought that's going to be hard to 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 portray that. But it but it does work. It works. And the other thing is that again, which I think is a tricky thing to do with spy stories, Le Carrier was brilliant at it, is to convey the fact that these stories damage everybody in the end, that everybody is chewed up by them. No, secrets are toxic. Spying is addictive. If you live that kind of life, if you choose to live that kind of life, you are appearing to be one thing on the outside and something else on the inside. And that is psychologically extremely damaging. Um, and, and in a way, again, we don't want to get into the psychological weeds here, but, but this, is, this is a story about what happens if you are not true, if you are not true to yourself or true to what you appear to be and what the effect of that is not just on your closest friendship but on everybody around you nobody comes out of this story unscathed we interrupt this program to bring you a special report calling all agents independent podcasting much like the spy game requires considerable resources whether it's research equipment hosting or of course constructing a top secret volcano lair We're putting out the call for your support. That's right. As you may know, we've activated the Spy Hearts Patreon, home of our ever-growing lineup of Agents in the Field episodes where we decode non-spy films from your favorite spy actors and full film commentaries with more intel than a Basil Exposition briefing. Cam, what have we got in our crosshairs this month? The Enforcer and Muscle Beach Party episodes are live and... Tune in in December. It's going to be plenty of festive fun as we celebrate the holidays Spy Heart style. And if that sounds delicious, then become a true Spy Heart today and join the circus at patreon.com slash spyhearts. But before this message self-destructs, Cam, resume the spy jinx. One of the things I really appreciated about the way the story is told is that you figured out 
how does both Elliot and Philby are now under scrutiny, right? Because the Russians don't trust his motives, and uh, you know MI5 doesn't trust Elliot, Elliot's motives, and the way that dueling story is told really moves moves it forward in a really interesting way that I hadn't really thought about. And how did you how did you come up with that as a, a way to kind of tell the story and, and use that? Was that early on, or was that something that later later came on as you were working on it? No, it was early on because I was, you know, so reading the book, um, I was I looked at it thinking, well, how do I adapt this? What I don't want to do, because the book is so good, is just regurgitate it. So I wanted to use the book as a sort of launching off point as well, so that I could um, imagine some things. And I was, and I, I, and I didn't, I couldn't figure out what the best way in was until I understood that this is a thing about class and clubbiness, as Ben has spoken about. And so, dramatically, the most interesting thing to do is throw a grenade in there in the in in the form of a working class woman, which which also at the time it was a light bulb moment for me because I emerged, then I go then I said to myself, oh, you you you. you You'll go. You hopefully you're going to look quite clever because this also makes the story modern and fresh by putting. And as soon as I came up with her, I realized, oh, she has to go at Elliot. She had, of course, he had to have been investigated. If he came back from Beirut without Philby, of course, he had to have been. Uh, And uh, as soon as I came up with her, that for me felt like dramatic gold. And then I listen. The day Anna Maxwell Martin stepped on set. And did the scene where she, the, uh, uh, the, the scene where she goes um, uh, uh, in the which you've just seen in the first episode where she goes, oh, do you think there's somebody who might be able to do something about that door? I knew, okay, that this is going to work. And actually, that character. Sorry, I'm digressing now a bit. Um, but that character, I was inspired. Uh, by the performance of uh, Fiona Hill, if you remember, in the congressional hearings uh, um, uh, against uh, building up to the impeachment of Trump. Do you remember? And she was going on about all of the interference in Ukraine and and all the rest of it. Uh, That she was a Brit. She's a British born American intelligence official uh, from Durham. And I was like, okay, that's 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 what we need. Now, we've only seen the first two episodes and we'll be putting this out when the first episode drops so people can watch it and we won't be spoiling things. But um, what I want to ask you is what can viewers expect from the show from the rest of the series? What can they look forward to from the show? Um, They can look forward to uh, quite a lot of spycraft uh, 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 in uh, in Moscow uh, because Philby is uh, not just, uh, he, he hasn't just rolled over. Um, and they can look to quite a lot of spycraft uh, in 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 London uh, because Elliot is not going to roll over. Uh, Elliot needs to come out of this smelling somewhat of roses if he could possibly do it, or at least he needs to, needs to learn something and and evolve out of sort of out of sort of uh, posh posh clubland. Um, so there's that, and uh, and just huge emotional stakes. I think for both men um, in their pre- in the 1963 continuum, but also in the not the nostalgia, but in the in the grief of a friendship 
betrayed. I'd say okay. that be completely immersed in two different historical periods, actually. I mean, what, what Nick and Alex have done is to, is to recreate that Bakelite, brown Windsor suit world of the, uh, the mid-60s in a way that is, I mean, it's the best, I think, representation of that since Smiley's People. It, 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 it hurls you in, and it completely absorbs you in it. And Nick, Nick said from the beginning that he wanted the world of London, the world of Beirut, and the, to, to be taking place in the background at, at all times. And, and you really do feel you're in a kind of sweaty fish and chip shop in 1964 yeah. or 63 and that's so this is a brilliant period piece most most i think most tv series tend to skimp on that sort of thing you know they, they they'll tell you where you are and give you a year and then just just film the damn thing this 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 is extraordinarily atmospheric also i think it's quite funny yes hmm. they were alive to the absurdity of what they were doing yeah i mean it's, all spying is faintly ridiculous um well like writing about it but but they are they are aware of the comedy of what is going on and the humor that is one of the linchpins of their own relationship yeah they spend a lot of time laughing with and at each other yeah and it's genuine on Philby's part i mean it's not it isn't, he's not faking that no it's which is what makes that friendship so fascinating as, as alex says it's both fake and completely hollow and yeah. totally genuine uh, I've got one final question, but Jeff, do you have a quick question for the end as well? Uh, just yeah, how fun was it to work in some of the uh, stranger than fiction type of things? You know, there's some nods to uh, Bond there, uh, which is real, which is just kind of crazy. Oh, that was a, that was off that scene. Uh, that was a scene. That was one of the first scenes when we were going through the budget that people were going, yeah, we're not going to be able to do that. I mean, I wrote it to exist in the RAC club, which is this incredibly sort of ornate place off of Piccadilly and I mean off of um, Lower Regent Street and everyone's going no no we can't do that unless there's a way to do it in the YMCA and you know somewhere else we did it and uh, it was just fun that was fun there was there's just there are there are some fun little sort of segues that we we try to organically incorporate in the storytelling Ian Fleming would have been delighted, by the way, to be incorporated into this. A man not entirely immune to, to his own ego. I no. mean, would love the fact that he's been brought in on But him. that guy who played that little scene, it's just a tiny little nod to Ian Fleming. But, it, God, that was such fun to, to do. And that guy really nailed it. And it's a true story. Yeah. It, it's absolutely true, that story. Uh, I'm not going to give it away for the, for the listeners. But, but, but when, you, when they do see that bit with Ian Fleming by the swimming pool, bear in mind, this actually happened again it's just there's just lots of little nuggets uh and and fun to be had along the way well i'll take us out with a question that we've asked on this show from everyone from john glenn to nicholas meyer directors writers all around and i'll put it to both of you let's go with ben first what is your favorite spy movie of all time i think it probably has to be tinker taylor I mean, I think I think that the movie or the TV the, show? the movie, the movie, the movie. I, I just think it absolutely nails the combination of arrogance and incompetence that sort of that characterised that organisation at that period, um, which 
Alex has done again here. But but that that's that's my all time favourite. Yeah, I think mine is a, is also a Le Carre one, uh, but it's because of a, a performance and and a and and how that the performance captured the nature of espionage, and that's uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance in The Most Wanted Man. Uh, 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 I think that that is just. I go back to that. I don't just go back to that when I'm writing, you know, uh, anything to do with spies or espionage. I go back to that, and just in terms of, of, uh, of, of wanting to achieve that kind of excellence, um, uh, in, in, in collaboration with an actor, um, and uh, if, if that, that to me, that's mind blowing. I mean, both excellent choices for films. Uh, one of those we haven't actually had on the show at all before. We haven't had mentions. So that's actually refreshing to hear. Um, but I just want to say, Ben, Alexander, thank you both for taking the time to speak to us today. We really enjoyed the first two episodes that we saw. We'll be checking out the rest of the series and we recommend everyone else does too. Um, we look forward to the rest of A Spy Among Friends. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, there you go, folks. That was our chat with Mr. Ben McIntyre and Mr. Alexander Carey. I want to thank them both for taking the time to speak to us. And I want to thank both ITV and Organic uh, for organizing the chat. Um, but the question goes to you, Jeff. What did you think about that chat? Um, it was really interesting. You know, I think it, watching these episodes and then getting to hear kind of how they decided to focus the story and bring it to life on TV was really uh, fascinating to see the the thinking that had to go into that to take a story that it, the book it reads like a novel but it is really pretty tricky to try and and put that on the screen i would say so i think that's that was interesting to see what their choices were there yeah i mean it's um for those listening won't be particularly surprised by this i haven't read the book because i don't read many books you can probably tell from the way i talk i'm not that well educated <laughs> um but you know, Jeff Quest, he runs spyright.com. It's spy books of their game. So, of course, I tapped up Jeff for this uh, this discussion. So, I think what we'll do is we'll sort of break down our thoughts on the first two episodes, keep it non-spoiler, and maybe just draw some distinctions and similarities between the book and the show. That works for me. Perfect. Well, maybe let, let's, let's sort of touch on the point you just mentioned about, like, the different forms of storytelling. Um the book itself, I you say, it just reads more like a book, like a narrative story. Whereas it, the TV shows feels a bit more sort of disconnected with different stories running concurrently at the same time. Does the book have the same feel as that? Um, well, there is a certain amount of of jumping around in, in the book, but I'd say the TV series takes it to a whole nother level and trying to kind of make this naughty narrative uh, work and stretch it for six episodes. So you know, it's the same but different sure sure and i i think like f for people like me i think it makes it slightly more accessible as well just sort of breaking the story down this way i mean as i say, I haven't read a book but this is the sort of storytelling that works for me I, and i said that to alex in in the chat um but as for the episodes as you are the expert on the book i'll, I'll start with you jeff what did you think of episodes one and two of a spy among friends I really, really enjoyed them, but I also have a, you know, I mean, like, as I said in the interview, it really does bring to mind um, the miniseries of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or like those 70s Sherlock Holmes uh, TV show. You know, it's it's got a very, 
it, it takes its time and, and enjoys to let things kind of play out and have the viewer kind of play a little bit of a catch up, you know, and, and not necessarily have to know everything that's going on right as it's happening. And, and it takes the, the viewer um, as smart enough to figure it out, which I appreciate. You know, anytime somebody uh, thinks that, you're, you know, is willing to say, OK, my audience is going to be smart enough to get this. I appreciate that. Yeah, there's no, I mean, there's the slight amount of hand-holding, I would say, but I think there's always going to need to be some in in any sort of storytelling, really. You need to sort of give some information to your viewer or your reader or your listener to help them know what's going on. But, and I, I draw a, a similarity between this and the second Harry Palmer movie uh, of Funeral in Berlin. Now, that doesn't suffer fools particularly, but it gives you the information you need to get to the ending. But that's it. It doesn't give you anything more. It really isn't sort of really holding your hand. And I, I quite like that about this show. It, it does force the viewer to really pay attention, which for some people who want to come to TV just to watch it for just the sake of watching television, maybe that's not for them. But I don't think they would be watching a, a spy dramatization anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, you can't go wrong with the leads. I mean, I think that's their, their ace card. Um, having uh, Guy Pierce is an amazing Philby. Um, I thought he was wonderful, and Damian Lewis is just is really knocking it out of the park as as well in in the role of Nicholas Elliott. I was really impressed with both of them. As, as someone who I would say is more educated on the subject of of Kim Philby, this is sort of my first brushings with the the real life person myself because I tend to stick to spy movies, and we haven't had an adaptation of that character yet in on the show what did you think of the characterizations and, and you know were they actors that you would have thought of in those roles if you were casting it yourself um sort of i mean you know the interesting thing with with philby is he had um a stutter and you don't see that in this this which i can understand why they just kind of move past that because that would be something that maybe people wouldn't be interested in seeing on screen slightly. for six hours yes but um, I, you know, Guy Pierce, he doesn't exactly look like Philby. You know, I, there's some interesting things where you can actually see some real life of Philby. Uh, you can search it out on YouTube. Um, he doesn't quite look like him, but he doesn't quite not look like him either. And so, you know, for me, I I don't need you know the the prosthetics or all of that. I think if the actor is good enough, they can make it work. And so, I think Pierce does a really good job of that, and he also does a very good job of letting you understand why people liked this guy because he was so good at tricking everybody. He did trick everybody for years and years and years. And I would want to hang out with Guy Pierce's Philby if I if I met him on the street. He seems like a kind of guy you'd want to hang out with. Well, I, the scene that really stood out to me in the first two episodes is there's the, the first uh, Night of the Blitz. Yeah. And both uh, uh, Philby and I'm forgetting the other chap's name now. Elliot. Nicholas Elliot. Nicholas Elliot, thank you. Um, are at like a, a gentleman's club and it gets hit by a bomb. And Philby is nothing but calm. Comes over and treats the wound and gets him a drink. That's uh, such a gentlemanly thing to do. You're instantly swept up in this sort of nice guy routine, which it turns out to be somewhat of a routine, at least from what I'm seeing so far, because he's a defector after all. Um, I mean, as for me, you'll know, listeners, Jeff, you know, too, 
my background is in spy films and generally fluffy films at that. I when it comes to the more hard edged uh, spy stories, I tend to I don't balk at them necessarily, but I wouldn't say they're they're my cup of tea. Um, I was genuinely swept up in the story, which I think was the the key element here. And I think that's a lot to do with the actors chosen. And I also think a lot to do with the casting of Anna Maxwell Martin, who for me, I found to be the access point because she is much like me, working class, doesn't understand this sophisticated lifestyle of uh, getting bombed and then drinking immediately afterwards. Uh, Yeah, I, I was able to understand that well through her and her sort of disdain for it. Yeah. And so I thought that was wonderful. I thought that was a wonderful choice. And so, yeah, I, I, I definitely have enjoyed what I've seen so far. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen. You do, obviously, from reading the book. Are there big revelations coming up in the other episodes? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, they're kind of leading towards some sort of big revelation that I don't know is maybe there. So I'm curious how they play it out, given the way they've kind of set things up, you know, to to remain in the spoiler free zone here and mm. be a little bit of vague. Um, But, you know, I, I would say, you know, for me. Obviously, I kind of related more to the the Philby Elliott story, you know, being that upper crust kind of guy, you know, I, I clubby, you know, that's so that's that was my my interest in the story versus the working class side of things. Well, I mean, you turned up in a top hat and monocle for this recording, <laughs> so it, it completely makes sense. I'm recording it from my club. You know, they have a whole podcasting suite. So, <laughs> oh, I, I believe your drink is here, by the way. Jeeves at the door. <laughs> Uh, well, turning it over to you, Jeff, uh, what's a, a particular moment in the first two episodes that really stood out to you? You know, you mentioned that uh, the the scene in the club. I think that was really great. I think for me, the scenes that stood out to me were the were the interrogation scenes where we see Elliot kind of going up against the MI5 uh, interrogator and also Philby going up against his kind of Russian handler. Um, I thought those were where you see them both in very similar situations, but on the total different side of the coin. And I thought that really, uh, really did some heavy lifting for making me interested in this story. I also, there's a a certain scene where we uh, see Elliot in some distress um, while he's in that interrogation and he has to kind of break away. And I thought that was really well done as well. Yeah, the the interrogation scenes were definitely a good way of introducing the characters and the stakes between the two of them. One thing that um, actually jumped out to me, because we didn't get much of a chance to discuss the show off-air before we started recording, uh, but it's, it's a question you took to the gents when we spoke to them earlier. Is is that an invention for the screen? Is that something that's not done in the book? Yeah, yeah. I You know, the, you know there's discussion about whether they who they believe what whether mi5 or whether you know the kgb believed both of them but definitely the characters that we see there were inventions oh as in the the sort of the so the mi5 the kgb people that were interrogating them are complete inventions for the show i see yeah i i believe so yeah i don't think that one the the one lady uh is definitely not somebody that i remember appearing in the in the book as a real character so in the book, obviously you're getting the same story. Is that just told through their experiences then, or are they sort of looking back on what happened, or how how is that told? Yeah, I mean it, it's told kind of um, 
you know, in your typical nonfiction way, it kind of starts at, you know, telling us about where these folks came from and then leading through the events that happened. Um, so you definitely get more of their backstory as far as, at least for what we've seen so far, of, you know, their history that Philby's, you know, family life was really kind of odd and weird. And you don't really get that in this, at least so far. Um, so, you know, there's more of that kind of discussion as well, as well as uh, Nicholas Elliott's back, background and, and how he ended up in MI6. One thing I picked up on just from the show so far, which may not have been intentional, I didn't get a chance to take it to the gents when we spoke to them earlier today, was uh, although they did speak a lot about sort of uh, examining male-male relationships as like friendships, uh, platonic relationships, and there's something that really doesn't get spoken about as much as it should these days, and that's something I'm a big sort of uh, proponent of. I think people, uh, men should be more open with each other about their feelings. I think the show does a lot of that, uh, giving them a chance to talk about their relationship together. I was also picking up on some like romantic undertones, but I don't know if that's just sort of the leads playing it really well. Now, I don't know where this story goes. You do. I don't imagine there is any of that, but I maybe that's just the power of their acting. But is their relationship supposed to be somewhat shrouded in secrecy? Um, I don't think so. I mean, there's always been this kind of... because. Um, with Cambridge Five, right, uh, there was some, you know, uh, there were some uh, relations there that were romantic, right, there. Sure. And so I, I don't, I, although it's been said about Philby, I don't think it's ever been uh, proven or really believed, I don't think, for the most part for folks. So, you know, I, I think there's just this weird thing with that kind of era and and the folks that grew up in those private schools and the clubs and there was just this weird relationship it was like a whole it's looking back on it now i think it's really hard for people to understand that whole way of life um at least for me you know not having any i i can barely keep track of public and private schools in the uk and what the difference is but i think that that going back even further you look at the you know these guys were growing up in the the early uh, 20th century there, you know, and that's just a whole different time from where we are now. Yeah, well, the expectation of of males is very different back then. That's definitely changed over the years and for the better, I would say. Um, but it goes to uh, maybe this sort of where I'm getting this sort of idea of romanticism between the two of them. Maybe it just comes down from the weird power dynamic they seem to have. Yeah. Um, which is not, I, I don't think was very evident to... Damien Lewis's character, but I, I think to uh, Guy Pierce's character, he he knew obviously he was playing both sides, and so it to then lose that and to you know it, it's almost as if your spouse is cheating on you in a sense, like it's you've been you've been done over by someone you trusted deeply. Now that can be a romantic thing, but that can be in a platonic relationship too. Your friends can you know really do your legs in uh, you know you trust people with your life or your stories and they and they sell them uh, and and that sort of thing so i can understand where that sort of pain and sorrow comes from although it, you know holds it well damien lewis so far in two episodes is not giving anything really he's really holding his cards close to his chest which again i think leads back to what you're saying about this sort of upper class uh you know all boys going to private school, that sort of thing. It's all bred into that. Um, is there something in the first two episodes that didn't quite work for you, especially knowing the source material as well? Um, 
I think some of the things that were diff- more difficult for me was it did jump around quite a bit. And I think keeping track of all of that, you really do, like we said, have to pay attention and be kind of, and I, I don't know if it made more sense knowing some of the backstory. And so that would be my curious question to you is, was it harder to follow not having any of that backstory or, or, or not? To flip it around back on you, I guess. No, I, I appreciate the question. I, I would say it was tougher because I don't know Kim Philby. Yeah. Like, I, I, they're speaking in tongues at times <laughs> about what he's done. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what he's done. You're not telling me. Which I guess is kind of like a, a conceit that they're trying to shroud it in secrecy for the viewer, assuming the viewer doesn't know anything. But it, it is, and it was going to be something I mentioned, the things I didn't like, is the fact that much as you can sort of obfuscate some of the facts, you should kind of know what he's done. Now, you know he's defected, but what secrets did he sell? What are the consequences of his actions? Now, we did find out that in the upcoming episodes, you will see more of those consequences, and I assume they're in there in the book too. Um, but early goings, it was I, I sat there kind of going, I don't know who Kim Philby is. I don't know what he's done. So for me, he's just this lonely-looking guy on a boat in a port in in Russia somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I I think for folks who are immersed in these stories and you know love their lacare, um, I think this is going to be like catnip to those folks. For the wider audience, I'm not sure how many are going to come along for the ride. I guess that would be my question. It's really it's made for a certain audience. And I don't know the crossover appeal of that, I guess, is my is it would be my concern. Well, I, I imagine a lot of listeners checking this out will be interested about the show, especially a lot of people in North America as well. You might not get it straight away. Yeah. Obviously, it's ITV here in the UK, but I, I can assume it will get international distribution, much like the ITV adaptation of the Ipcris file eventually did. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I wasn't the biggest fan of the Ipcris file TV version. I also had the same... I watched the first few episodes as a press screening and that sort of thing. Um, but that went down the more fluffy route, I found. Like, it, it, it sort of jazzed up everything, mm. especially from watching the original movie, although I haven't read the book either. It's not it's not what I do. Um, how did you... Because obviously you mentioned this is definitely for that particular audience. And I, and I would say there's going to be a lot of listeners from Spybrary, who you work with through your readers on spywrite.com, that will be interested in this, I think, because they are very much the devout readers of books spy books specifically but itv needs to appeal to a mass audience it's one of the five terrestrial channels here in the united kingdom there are free basically public access television in a sense but like it's anyone can watch it and so they need to make it for everyone and that, and that is something i i question where they're going with this maybe it, it kicks up a gear in the next few episodes and you get some explosions not that you necessarily need that but it's definitely holding people at a distance. And unless you know your scripture in this world, I don't know if you will be as, be really enjoying it by episode two. Yeah, I, I think for me, I, I really enjoy this type of television. And so I I would give it a rave. But it's also, you know, it's it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, as, as, you, as you said. And you oh, know, I appreciate you using the British vernacular there. Thank you. <laughs> well, and there's a lot of tea in this uh, in this uh, show too. They're drinking tea all the time. They're also doing a lot of drinking. Man, they drink a lot. 
but uh, I, I've been uh, drinking vodka out this flask the whole time. <laughs> a pink, what do you call it? Pink lady or pink gin or something? He's asked for at one point. Yes, yeah, yeah, pink gin. Um, so I, uh, you know, I, I, I agree. I think it's gonna be. It's, it's like kind of a. It feels like a prestige show, right? Like it, sure. over here, it's something we'd see on HBO or you know a you know PBS masterpiece theater mm-hmm. is where I could see this being placed at some point. Um, one of those very you know for an audience that's willing to sit down and give it give it a lead and and let it go and see where it takes them. So, but yeah, is it gonna appeal to the uh, the Fast and the Furious audience? You know, probably not. I can't believe I just got lumped in with the Fast and Furious fans, but I'll take it. <laughs> hey, I, I like those movies too. That is but, about yeah. right for me, to be fair. That is about <laughs> right. Um, well, a couple of questions I think uh, to discuss before we wrap up, Jeff. Uh, one is, obviously, we've seen the first two episodes. Hopefully, I'll be dropping this around the, t- the time that the first episode lands. Uh, we haven't really given any spoilers away, so I'm, I'm glad about that. But what are you, having known the book and known uh, Ben McIntyre's work, what are you hoping to see in the subsequent four episodes? Not so much in like in terms of plot points, but like moments and, and sort of how the show takes us. I would like to see, just because their relationship was so odd, Philby's father. I hope they do even, and I don't know that we'll get it because it seems like they're really trying to keep it within this narrow window of time of you know here but i would love to see some flashbacks to that because his his dad was a a wacky dude and um i'd love to see that explored a little bit more and what made philby who he is and i think if they can dive a little bit more into that because he is such a cipher um in certain ways i'd love to see some more of that yeah fair i mean i would just like to see a little more sort of context really Mm. um who is Kim Philby? What is the result of his actions? And, and I know they're probably just spoon feeding us information until we get to that revelation. But it, it it's slightly frustrating being behind. Yeah. Like I feel like I don't know something I should know. And and I'm I mean at, at the time of recording, we've done 110 or so spy films. I've interviewed countless people who've made spy films. I don't know if I necessarily have spy credentials, but I kind of know what a spy story is at this point. And I feel like even with those credentials, I still feel like I'm missing some key information here. Well, I think, you know, for you, I think this story is, it's a weird spy story in that we're seeing like the end of the story versus the beginning like you know we're not seeing philby where he's like doing all the spying we're not seeing him spying we're seeing the after effects of him being exposed and so it's almost like you know all those movies that you've watched they ended and then like a year or two later they picked up again and showed what happened to these people after the end after the end of the story um Mm -hmm. and so i think that maybe plays a little bit with some of that uh dissonance that you're talking about where you're not quite sure where it's going and and what it's trying to say um what i would say is looking forward towards the next few episodes i think we're going to see you know uh more of the cia kind of getting mixed in there um they've dropped a character james angleton who is well known in you know spy history as kind of a mole hunter um and a little bit crazy <laughs> so um i think that'll be kind of interesting to see how they weave that in there um to to tell the story a little bit more 
Okay, so I think the final question as we bring it home, uh, Jeff, I'll, I'll answer it first myself, but I think really listeners want to hear from you on this one as the expert. Um, would you check this out? I, I myself, I probably wouldn't reach for this initially. I'm intrigued now I've seen the first two episodes. I think they've sort of hooked me with the acting and the performances from the two leads, and I think some of the other characters. Are, it's it's great seeing Adrian Edmondson on screens since he's part of my childhood. Um, Anna Maxwell Martin, as I mentioned, I think she's fantastic. So I'm hooked to see the rest. I want to see where this story goes. Um, but if people are checking this out for the first time, they haven't necessarily watched the first episode yet, and they're they're curious. They want to dip their toe in. Would you recommend picking up this show? Yeah, well, first I want to say thank you, um, not only for having me on, but also referring to me for the first time as an expert. I'm writing that down in my diary right now. Um, but, uh, no, I, I think if, definitely if you've read any of McIntyre's books that are steeped in kind of the Cold War and especially this one, you're going to want to watch this. Um, if you're somebody who, you know, uh, lives and dies on Alec Guinness and Tinker Taylor, um, I think you're going to want to watch this. Um, if you're somebody who is less enamored with those types of stories, I think maybe you might want to do a pass on this. For me, I love that stuff, so I'm there for it. You know, I'm I'm definitely want to see the rest of this and see where they go and how they weave this story because I feel like we've seen a lot of kind of what's going on already with these two. And so I'm curious how they play it out for the rest of the, of the episodes. Um, that part, I'm kind of scratching my head over knowing kind of the, the backstory. And so I'm curious where they go. Yeah. That, that's, that's what's keeping me going is sort of curious to see where it takes me, but without knowing necessarily, which you do have that sort of foresight on that one through reading the book. Um, but yeah, the, the groups of people you mentioned are the people in my head, I would have recommended this to as well. Um, I'll be interested to see what people on, you know, spybrary think of it that the sort of those people who are well versed and steeped in that world think of this show I, I i hope they enjoy it um but yeah other than that i've i've had a blast talking to the gents i i was very happy to sort of pick their brains on making the show i hope you all got a lot from that too um if you do check the show out let us know what you think of it as it eventually over the few weeks on rolls and unravels uh but jeff jeff quest i'll say your full name because it's so cool um thank you for once again joining me on spy hards i'm sorry cam can't be here but frankly with his tiny shoes we wouldn't have noticed anyway well thank you again for having me on it was really it was great to to talk to both of them and to talk to you about the show and and get a chance to see it it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you jeff for those who aren't aware of you obviously we'll have links in the show notes below but where can people find more from you online sure you know spyright.com it's right with a w um, you can find me there. I also host a podcast all about John Lacare's novels, so lacarecast.com, or I also post on uh, uh, McCarran's Slow Horses series. So that's uh, you can find all that online uh, at Spyrite. I've got links to everything there. Yeah, there'll be links down below. I mean, I, at one point in time, I think we were in a network together. I don't know how that went or where that went, but hey. We're spy bros, and that's the main thing. And, and you, you're part of the fold. You're part of the spy network. So it's great to have you. And, and I reach out for you whenever I have book stuff. So it's, it's it's great to have you back on the show, Jeff. We should have to do another film soon. Um, but thank you once again, Jeff. 
thanks so much there you go folks that was our chat of a spy among friends uh let us know what you think of the show and if you want to hear more interviews like this and sort of special episodes about tv launches i do get a lot of invitations and i don't often take them because spy tv is not something i really do that often i don't feel like i have the right sort of uh pedigree to do it uh maybe that's wrong maybe that's not the case and you want to hear us do it more let me know uh you can of course follow us uh discreetly on social media at spyhards that's s-p-y-h-a-r-d-s on facebook twitter and instagram but until next week listeners we'll see you among the shadows (laughs) 